Good morning, Door of Hope. I'm Joan Lawfer, and I'm reading to you from my home in Northeast Portland. I'm going to be reading from the Gospel of Luke this morning, chapter 24, verses 13 through 32. Now that same day, two of them were on their way to a village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. Together, they were discussing everything that had taken place. And while they were discussing and arguing, Jesus himself came near and began to walk along with them. But they were prevented from recognizing him. Then he asked them, what is this dispute that you're having with each other as you're walking? And they stopped walking and looked discouraged. The one named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that happened there in these days? What things, he asked them. So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, powerful in action and speech before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. Besides all this, it's a third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women from our group astounded us. They arrived early at the tomb, and when they didn't find his body, they came and reported that they had seen a visions of angel, vision of angels who had said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, and they didn't see him. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. They came near the village where they were going and he gave the impression that he was going farther. But they urged him, Stay with us because it's almost evening and now the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. It was as he reclined at the table with them that he took the bread, blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him, but he disappeared from their sight. They said to each other, weren't our hearts burning within us while he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us. Lord, like the disciples in the road, we let our expectations blind us to who you are and to your perfect plan. We travel in disappointment and discouragement because we fail to invite you into our hearts, learn your ways and read your word. We forget your perspective in favor of our own, which is doomed to failure and guaranteed to bring grief. You alone are the way, the truth, and the life. Father, we seek to trust you and your timing in the circumstances of our lives. Help us to become spiritually mature that we may share your truth with others. You are ever faithful, no matter how we doubt, lose our way, or fail to recognize you as you walk with us. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are and what you've done once for all. In your holy name, amen. Have a great day. Hey, good morning, Door of Hope Northeast. Um, 
well, I guess good afternoon or good evening or good night, depending on when you're watching this. And welcome to those of you who, who maybe aren't part of the Door of Hope Northeast family. Glad you, uh, you've tuned in and found this, and I hope, hope the Lord meets you in it. Uh, my name is Josh. I am one of the pastors here. And we have been going through a sermon series, we're a few weeks in now, on spiritual disciplines called the Disciplines of Grace. And just a, just a few disclaimers before, before I actually get into it. Spiritual disciplines can be um, something that's debated within the Christian community as to what they are and what their function is and how they work. And so uh, we just want to maybe even over-communicate with uh, what we really are getting at and what we mean when we're talking about practicing spiritual disciplines. So there, there are a couple things really I want to mention. The first one is w- when we're thinking of spiritual disciplines, try and it, it would be wise to remove from your thinking any sort of moral dimension that we're talking about here. And what I mean by that is that when you think about reading the Bible, prayer, um, fasting, serving, um, being in community, when you're thinking about these things, don't think about them in terms of I'm good if I do them and I'm bad if I don't. So this has nothing to do with feeling bad or feeling good about whether you do or do not do them. We are, we are saved by the grace of God alone, not by anything we do. Um, so, so try and, and remove, uh, remove the moral aspect um, from, from your thinking. This is not a way to earn God's favor. It's not a ladder to climb. It's not a list of to-dos, and it isn't a spiritual self-improvement program. Um, also, spiritual disciplines are not mechanisms. They're not formulas. Um, they're, they're not things that are going to produce outcomes in your, in your life just simply by practicing them in, in the just the right precise way, nor are they going to produce outcomes because you do it ever so sincerely and wholeheartedly. Um, these are not, uh, these aren't mechanisms actually at all. Um, and producing outcomes, even sanctification, uh, is not what the Christian life really is about. That's not what following Jesus is about. Um, what I will say is that spiritual disciplines are about relationship from beginning to end. That's what they're about. And one way to characterize this that uh, is, a, I think, a, a tight and succinct way of, of phrasing it is that spiritual disciplines are primarily, they are primarily relational and only secondarily or tertiarily uh, transformational or informational. Um, they're primarily relational. And that is the thing to try and, and keep in mind as we're moving forward. And them being relational, I think this is a good stop to take a pause and put a plug out for the book club that's coming out next month. So we're reading this book called Delighting in the Trinity, and it's probably my favorite uh, book that's come out in the last 10 years because it's so accessible to anyone who's interested. This is not some highfalutin theology book where you have to have taken classes ahead of time or something like that. It is very accessible to anyone, and it's by Michael Reeves, and his main thesis is what I'm saying, that God's primary mode, the, the way that God is, is God is relationship, and that's what the Trinity is about, right? So God is relationship. So all the other aspects of who God is, they're all bound up and tied together and come under this umbrella of relationship. So God loves because He's relational. He creates because He is Himself a relationship and creates things to enjoy relationship with. Um, Even judgment 
comes because he is relating to objects of his love. It's all about relationship. So I encourage you to sign up for the book club. And even if you can't, get, pick up the book and read it. But I'm sure there's going to be at least one that will be wholly on, online if, if you're concerned about um, uh, getting coronavirus or spreading coronavirus. Um, there will be some that are in person if you're just dying to get into community and, and actually have some face-to-face -face interaction or mask-to-mask -mask interaction with, with um, other people. So, so sign up for the book club. Um, but en enough about the plug. All of that just to say once again, spiritual disciplines are primarily about relationship. And so just, uh, just as you don't go on dates to refine your palate, the purpose of going on a date with your spouse or your boyfriend or girlfriend is not to refine your palate. It's to be with that person. It's to invest and, and draw near to one another and have intimacy together and not to just to be there refining your palate. That's how spiritual disciplines are. We're not there to, to train for some sort of spiritual Olympics. We're not there to, be, uh, to become more moral, good, uh, happy people. Um, we're not there to try and like increase our spiritual portfolio or, or say how many days we fasted or how long we prayed or anything like that. It's really about meeting with God. And the reason why I say that is this. Um, the only thing that will transform us, the only thing that's going to bring about our sanctification is God himself. Every step of growth you and I make, that happens not because we've mastered disciplines or we've done it very sincerely and wholeheartedly or we've done it very precisely. It's because God himself has touched us. Every step of growth is, is literally a miracle. It is God stepping into your life and making a change inside of you. So that is what spiritual disciplines are all about. Now, the one that I'm going to talk about today is the uh, discipline of reading or uh, meditating or basically some, somehow interacting, getting involved in, wrestling, eating scripture. So scripture is the main thing that I'm going to talk about. But I need to, before I get into it, I just want to say that Scripture is, is so broad and people bring so many expectations to hearing about it that I want to say exactly like what, what I am and am not going to do. So this is not going to be a sermon that's about the history or the writing or the canonizing of Scripture. It's, it's not going to be about uh, what scholars call textual criticism, whether or not what we have is, is accurate to the original um, the original documents. I'm not going to talk about, you know, apologetics and def defending the authority of the Bible or inerrancy um, or, or anything like that. I mean, I'm not even going to really talk about the, the doctrine of Scripture. I'm going to assume it. I'm assuming the authority of the Bible. And so if, you, um, if you're like, I don't, I don't know if I believe those things, um, please like email me. I'd love to talk to you about it. Or if you're curious about those things and you want to know about the history and the authority, like all those things, email me. I'd love to talk to you about it and point you to resources that will help you out. Um, but for now, I'm not going to try and defend those things. I'm just going to assume them. What I'm really wanting to do um, today is help us to come to scripture, hopefully in a new, in a new and maybe even um, exciting way. Um, so the way I'm going to do that is right now I'm going to transition into what's called the introduction of the sermon where I tell a story that hopefully connects with the audience and, and illustrates a point. So this is, a, this is an ancient story 
And um, it, it goes all the way back to the time before we had supercomputers in our pockets and before the word selfie even existed. Um, in fact, if I were to go back in time to myself at that time and say, hey, there's this thing called a selfie, my past self would probably say something like, well, would probably have a passive aggressive way of, of saying, wow, people in the future are all narcissists. And uh, my past self would probably not be far off the mark. But anyways, so this is, uh, this is a story from all the way back in 2004, if you guys can remember that. And oh, young Josh in, in 2004, what he didn't know. Um, so 2004, I was 20 years old and I was leaving my, my home city to the great blue yonder where I had no, um, I didn't know anybody. I had no idea what I was getting into. Um, I'm from a small town down in Southern Oregon and um, I had decided, like a bunch of other um, sexually charged 18 to 22 year olds, that what I was gonna do is I was going to leave home and join a cult called YWAM. And uh, that, that was a joke, by the way. I can't tell if you're actually laughing and could tell that was a joke, because I'm just sitting here talking to my phone, well, standing here talking to my phone, which is actually kind of funny if you think about it. You're sitting there watching somebody who's talking to his phone. But either way, be that as it may, uh, so I joined YWAM. If you're not familiar, that's an acronym for Youth with a Mission. And it's an organization that's designed to, uh, to connect uh, young people with other nations, other cultures in the world, and you, they send them out to tell them about Jesus. Um, so I, I joined up with YWAM, and I'm driving down to fly out of San Francisco, drive all night with my friends down to San Francisco. I get on the plane. I haven't had any sleep, and so I get the window seat because that's, that's my preference. And I curl up and try and fall asleep. And I, all of a sudden I hear this boom. I feel this boom. And there's this kid who's kicking the back of my seat. And I'm like, oh man, I'm just wanting to sleep. And then his dad starts yelling at him for kicking the seat. And so I'm thinking, okay, well maybe whoever sits next to me, I can see if I can trade for, for the aisle um, because I, I just want to sleep. Um, then, so I look over and, and Good for me, the couple sitting next to me uh, are French newlyweds who have no compunction about making out in public. So, uh, so I'm, I'm in a bind. I actually, I really need the window because I need something else to look at. And uh, so I get out my Sony Discman, remember those? You know, I get out my Sony Discman and my double A's are dead. You had to carry double A's everywhere you went. Um, and uh, so my batteries were dead. Probably wouldn't matter because I didn't have the, uh, the anti-skip anyway, so anytime there's turbulence, I probably would uh, have my music skipping. But anyways, so I'm on the plane and I realize, oh my God, like, what am I doing? I'm going somewhere where I know absolutely nobody. I could show up at the airport and anybody could like have a sign with my name on it, have a sign that says YWAM, and I will get into their car and they could take me into some back alley and murder me. And I was like, Lord, what am I doing? Like, did I miss you? What is going on? So I show up. Obviously, no murder, no mayhem here. Um, and the YWAM people, uh, they meet me at the airport and they say, hey, uh, welcome to Hawaii. It was in Hawaii, you know, hence the newlyweds. It was in Hawaii and they're like, oh, there's these customs here. And one of those customs was to pick up hitchhikers because a lot of people don't have cars and they just hitchhike because everyone's, everyone's the kind bra is what they say, which, which kind of just means, yeah, whatever, you know. And uh, so we're, we're driving and I see this guy. I'm like, let's pick him up. And... <laughs> 
And they're like, okay, so we pull over and it's this, he looks all, all like, you know, homeless sort of beach bum and, you know, he's smelling, he's selling these guavas that are not ripe, that he's probably, I assume, like he's stolen them out of somebody's yard. And so we're riding along and we start talking and he's trying to sell me the guavas and I ask him, hey, you know, where are you going? And, and he says, oh yeah, yeah, I'll just, I'll just get out wherever you guys, where you guys are and, and you know, I'll head on from there. And so when we get, we pull up to the house and I'm staying in and he gets out with us and he starts, he starts going for my luggage and I'm like, uh oh, because <laughs> I think he's going to take off with it. So I go over and I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. Like, I, I got that. I'm good. He's like, oh, are you, are you sure? You know, I was just going to, I was just going to carry it for you. I'm like, no, 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 I'm, I'm sure. So, uh. So I get my luggage and I have other stuff that, you know, other people on staff, they, they grab and we all go into the house and they're going to show me my room, introduce me to other people. And this dude is, fo- is like following us. And I'm thinking, dude, these staff people need to, need to kind of like regulate on this guy. What's he doing? So we get into my room and they, they say, okay, this, this guy here, he's your roommate. And this is the, the leader of this team and this is the leader of that team. And then they turn over to the homeless guy next to me and, I, and this is Vince and he's the he's the um, director of the base and the director of the base means like he's the head honcho of the whole base and I was just like oh mind blown you know um, my point in telling that story is well also they got the whole thing on video which is pretty funny so this was back when punked was a thing so they totally punked me my point in telling that story is this not just to give you a laugh and uh, and all that. My point is this, um, and you see where this connects to the text for today. When you're dealing with God, we have no idea really what we're getting into. That's, that's kind of my point, is that when, when you approach, when you are actually coming to the living God, the creator of the universe, we don't know what we're getting into. We kind of have an idea, and we think we do, but there's always more going on than we see. That's kind of the point in in Luke 24. Jesus is right in front of them, right under their noses, and they think they know what's going on. They think that he's been crucified. They think that they had a good run and it's all over. They also think that because they read the scriptures, they had gotten him right. But it's when Jesus opens the scriptures to them that he actually, once again, blows their mind because there's more going on than they realize. And that is, that is my main point here. I want you to leave here believing that you can discover that Jesus is seeking you and he is up to far more than you realize when you go to read the Bible. So here's, here's what I want to do with the rest of the time. I want to go to the scriptures and say, what, is, what does the Bible say about reading the Bible? You know, about coming to the Bible. What, what do you do with the Bible? And then I want to give a, a few practical things. So first, uh, uh, let's go to the Bible. Um, as I was reading, as I was studying for this, I came to realize the Bible doesn't say a whole lot about reading the Bible, actually. In fact, Jesus never commands anybody to read the Bible. Um, but... The crazy thing is, you, no matter what way you cut Jesus, he's bleeding scripture. He's quoting it all over the place in his temptation, um, when he's uh, speaking to the disciples, when he's explaining the parables, 
um, when, he's, uh, when he's before the Sanhedrin, when he's, they say, I adjure you by the living God, are you the Christ? And he says, I am, and you will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. He's quoting Daniel 9, you know, and then, of course, in his crucifixion, he quotes Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So uh, it, um, Jesus is like, is like saturated in Scripture. It's like the blood that flows in his veins, and yet he never commands it. Um, it he even... But he expects it, right? Like he has these run-ins with, with the Pharisees over and over again. He'll say, have you not read? Ha- have, you, have you never read? Haven't you read? Um, so he, he has this expectation that people will have read the Bible, but he doesn't actually command it. And that's, that is curious, actually, um, because he doesn't command it, but he expects it. And uh, the New Testament doesn't give us a whole lot in terms of methodology, although Paul does say at one point to, to Timothy, hey, dedicate yourself to the public reading of Scripture. You actually have more of a methodology in, in the Old Testament, in the, in the Bible that Jesus used. And so I'm going to spend a lot of our time there because that's where there, there's more fruit. So I go back and I do what, you know, what you're trained to do. I go to the English Bible, I look up the word read. Um, Read comes up if you if you go and get a concordance, uh, you're going to find the word read depending on your translation comes up about 50 times in the Old Testament. And the interesting thing about that is that almost every time it is some sort of public reading of Scripture. Never is it is it specifically an individual privately reading something. Sometimes it's ambiguous, um, but very 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 often. It has to do with people coming together and someone reading publicly in the presence of other people. I think that's actually significant. Now, as to the word itself, it's translated read. Uh, in Hebrew, it's, it's the word kara over, over like 90% of the time. And so I, I look up this word. This is what, this is what um, we're trained to do as pastors. Okay, let's go look up and uh, let's go let's see the... Uh, the Hebrew, the meaning behind the Hebrew, how this word is used. So I look up in the theological dictionary of the Old Testament, which is kind of like your um, the the big the big book on you know that you go to for this. And lo and behold, there's a 28-page article. I mean, enormous. That is that is over the top, overkill. And there are 14 different usages of this word. So so what that should should well here I'll just I'll just read them so you can see. Okay, it means communication at a distance between humans. Communication at a distance between humans and Yahweh. Communication at a distance with animals. <laughs> communication abolishing distance or or removing distance between humans, between humans and Yahweh. And then there's public proclamation, there's public prophecy, and then there's calling then there's general reading and reading Torah. And then there's four naming ones, naming in general, naming creation, naming of subjects, and renaming. Now, okay, that's, that is just like a pile. Um, and I'm not, obviously, I don't have time to get into all of that. I will just say this one thing. Well, two things. First, you can see from all these different definitions that reading has, reading cannot simply be what we tend to mean when we mean read, which is like, I sit by myself and read silently in my head. It's, it's, there's a lot more to it than that. Second thing I want to note is that the first 10 of these have the idea, once again, of this sort of public reading, of, of communication between persons. And here's why I think that is significant. The word, the word Korah very, um, the, 
most often, although it has this broad definition, most often it means to call, to call on someone. And it is almost absurdly simple, this illustration I'm going to give you, but I think it makes the point. What do you do when you make a phone call? When you make a phone call, you expect a response. Um, if you didn't expect a response, if you're just relaying information, you probably would use a text message. But even so, even when you're just doing a text message, let alone a phone call, you are relaying information in order for someone to respond. Um, but very often, let's just stick with the phone call here. The phone call is for the purpose of actually communicating, of having some sort of relational interaction with, uh, with other people. So that's, that's my main point, is that reading the Bible, coming to Scripture, is a relational activity. That brings us back again to what I said at the beginning. Spiritual disciplines are relational. It is a relational activity. Um, we should uh, expect to have an exchange with God. Uh, we should read uh, with the intention of responding. So um, if you're taking notes, here's something to write down. Reading means listening and responding. Don't just read, relate. Don't just read, respond. Have this interactive relationship. Okay, so that's, that's the word read. There's another word that I think is significant, or another method, way, way that Scripture's talked about, and that is uh, this idea of meditating. And in Hebrew, there are, there are two words. Uh, these were much shorter articles, um, but there are two words, uh, shiach and Hagah, which are used interchangeably, uh, is what they said, to, just simply to mean to meditate. And what Hagah means is um, it's actually very often used of animals. It actually, the, the word literally would mean mutter, but that's not very helpful for us because when we think of mutter, we think of somebody like sort of muttering something under their breath or sort of like giving voice to a complaint, but not enough voice so that someone else will hear it because we're too chicken to say it out loud. Um, so muttering kind of doesn't help. It works better where it's used with animals. So in Isaiah, he talks about a lion roaring over its prey and doves like moaning and cooing and things like that. And that, that isn't helpful until you see a little bit more um, context. What are they moaning and cooing and roaring all about? Um, Eugene Peterson has this great uh, illustration in a book that he wrote called Eat This Book. And that's basically his take on on approaching scripture. I also highly recommend that one if you can get a hold of it. A little more technical than, than the Reeves book, but it's, uh, but it's definitely accessible. Anyways, in that book, he talks about his do his, this dog he had in Montana. It was a small dog who would, who would wander around the wilderness and would find the carcass of a deer or something and would inevitably select the biggest bone it could find and bring it back home. So the little dog would run around with this giant bone in his mouth and would prance around, show it off to everybody. But eventually, once, once the dog got bored showing it off, uh, he would settle down into a corner behind a bush somewhere alone and he'd get to work on it. And then you would hear this, this rumble of this groan, you know, as the dog is, is gnawing on it. That's actually what this word in Hebrew is getting at, is that sort of, that moaning as you gnaw. And, and it's not a groan of, it's not like a growl, like, hey, get away from me. Um, it's, a, it's a growl of, of pleasure. What's actually happening is the dog is so getting lost in this, in this chewing and chomping and gnawing and so enjoying himself that he's actually make, unconsciously making these, 
verbal noises with his body. That's, that's what Hagah means. That's what meditate means, is to get so lost in something that, uh, that you're making sounds that you don't realize you're making. And this happens sometimes, you know, sometimes when we eat food, you, you make all these, oh, mm, oh, and you're complimenting the chef, or, or you're just trying to get attention. I think of Bob Wiley and What About Bob? Do you ever see that movie where he's just going, mm, oh, mm, oh. Um, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about this, uh, Haggah is about the unconscious moaning. I, I actually remember hearing this when I was in the library, when I would be in a library studying with other students and you'd hear, you know, you'd, th- we had these little cubicle thing type things where you shared a wall between you, you're kind of facing each other, but you can't see each other. And you'd hear this tapping of the keyboard or something like that. And then you hear a, hmm, ah, that's the kind of, like somebody got, like somebody's gotten lost in whatever they're doing so much that they're like, oh, like they're making noises and they don't realize that that's what they're doing. That's what it means to meditate on scripture. It means to get so deeply lost in it that you're actually like, you're, you're not paying any attention. You're, you're unselfconscious about what you're doing with your body. Now, this is probably what eventually is happening <clears throat> when God tells people to eat, eat this book, eat the scroll. Um, God does that several times. And, and the point of that is to get this into every fiber of your being, metabolize this so that it becomes who you are. You know, when you, when you eat an apple, that apple is actually transformed into the cells of my body. And I actually have the energy and capacity for my body to heal itself and to grow hair. I wish it would grow more, um, but uh, that happens because I've actually metabolized, I've taken it into me. That's um, that's what we're trying to get out here. This is what, read Psalm 119. That's what that person is doing. Oh, how I love your law. Oh, it is my delight all day long. I cannot depart from your way. Oh, Lord, keep me tight to your... It's it's somebody who is who has been here, who's haggaiing. That's probably what Jesus was doing, and that's why he's oozing out Scripture everywhere he goes. Okay, so... There's, there's what I have to say about um, what Scripture says about how we come to it. Now let's get practical. As I've been talking about, um, especially about this word Hagah, meditate, you're probably thinking, well, I don't do that. How, like, how, how do I get there? I, you, you've, you've sold me on like desiring this. I want it, but I, I just don't know how to get it. Well, um, I'm going to outline just three methods that that Christians have, have gone to for, for this sort of thing. And there are more, so get a hold of me if you want to know about more. But you could try one or all of these. I have at, at various times in my life. It's good to mix it up. But the first, one, um, the first one to mention is basically what I've just done here, and that is study. That is, you read, you read the Bible, and you have questions, and then you start digging around, digging around for answers. So, uh, so, so you read and you're like, what is this really saying? So then you go back and you find a commentary or something like that, and try and try and find out more about the historical context, find out more about the literary context. Um, maybe you get get some skills up on on learning how to read different genres of literature. Um, maybe you go watch a Bible project video. Um, but either way, you're you're studying, you're you're trying to get at what's really going on here, and so you're digging deeper and deeper and deeper. So study is one way that you can get lost. You can haggah the text. Um, another one 
that I find is not very common is what I call the Bible blitz. And that is where you just read, 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 read. You're not trying to, you're not pausing to try and gain an understanding of, of the particulars. You're trying to get a 30,000 foot view of the whole thing. So you're asking big questions. God, what is going on in Genesis? What is the whole book of Genesis about? And so you read the whole thing in one sitting or in two days or three days or something like that. But you read, read, read. And uh, you're, the, the main question you're really asking is, God, what are you like? God, what are you doing? God, show yourself to me in this text, what, what this is about, what you are about. Um, and there you're, once again, you're only really picking up a small percentage of what the Bible has to say, but you're getting a, the broad perspective and you can get lost in doing that. You can really see, oh, wow, like that's amazing. And you wouldn't see that if you were going, if you were going slowly and doing the study thing. And uh, by the way, I am planning on doing a Bible blitz this year. I tend to do it in three months. I read for an hour a day. And then, and if you read for an hour a day, you, you get done with the whole Bible in about three months. So if you're interested and a little bit crazy like me, um, get a hold of me. I'd love to start a group that does it. You could, it's a lot easier to do it together than it is to do it by yourself. So anyway, the blitz, that's the second one. Third one is, is to actually meditate, to slow down and chew. This is not necessarily like trying to get into all the background and the context, but this is to really try and integrate into your life what is being said. So just a quick example of that. Cameron, in the sermon a couple weeks ago on prayer, uh, brought up the Lord's Prayer. So if you were to take something like that, because many of us have it memorized, it actually helps. Meditating is a lot easier if you memorize. Um, So let's just take the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Okay, you slow down. You go, oh, that's okay. Let's just start with our Father. Okay, our Father, our Father. Hmm, our Father. So our, our is collective. It's not my Father, not your Father. It's our Father. And it's our Father. So like... We're a family. God has a family. He has children. And the people next to me are also his children. That makes us siblings. So we're siblings. Um, and so the way that I treat and relate to them actually, oh my goodness. Oh, oh shoot. This means that um, my roommate who uh, leaves their dishes out and um, gets hair everywhere or whatever, I need to treat them like they're my brother. Um, or... How about a little bit closer to home? Um, these people who misrepresent the Lord, who, who mix and mingle their, uh, their Christianity with nationalism, who storm the Capitol, they are also my brothers and my sisters. Ooh. So this is, see what I'm saying? Like that, that's a little heavy there. But um, what I'm saying is, that's what it means to meditate is to really think through an idea and try and process that into all of your life. So these are, these are three basic methods <clears throat> that aren't, aren't that difficult um, to follow, but they do take time and energy. But I want to say something in, in, in having laid these out a little bit. Once again, these are not methods that, that guarantee spiritual growth that guarantee this uh, like intimate connection and the sort of groaning and and like meditating on the scriptures doesn't automatically happen just because you 
uh, employ this particular method. It's something you have to continuously wrestle with. And one of the things to wrestle with is the fact that we as creatures, as fallen creatures, we desire safety and comfort. And that means that even when it comes to reading the Bible, we want safety and comfort. And sometimes that means we avoid certain texts, and that's a way of avoiding, actually avoiding God in the way that we read the Bible. But there's other ways that we avoid God by re- in, in the ways that we read the Bible, and that is we just settle into the comfortable routine of like, okay, I got three chapters today, tick, tick, tick. Okay, done. Now let's get to my news feed. Let's get to my podcast. Let's get to my agenda for the day. Um, what we've done there is we have uh, satisfied that side of us that feels as though we owe God something so that we can get back to our own agenda and whatever it is that we have to do. So you have to be careful when you're employing a method, like these methods themselves actually can become barriers between an actual reciprocal relationship with God. So that's why I want to emphasize once again, uh, altogether, (laughs) this is primarily and foremost about relationship. See, God is not like, um, God is not like a guitar that if you just get the right methods, you, you learn where things are, you get the right techniques, and you can make it sing the song you want. You can do that with a guitar, but God is not like that. God is personal. He can, choose, he can choose how he is going to interact with you. His interactions with us are on his terms, not on ours. But this is where the hope comes. Remember the, the story at the beginning. Remember Luke 24. God is doing far more than we realize. So when you come to the text, you come seeking the Lord. Lord, I want to meet with you. I want to relate to you. I want to have intimacy with you. I want to desire you. I want to be so caught up in you that my heart burns within me like those disciples on the road when Jesus opened the scriptures to them. I want that. Maybe that'll happen. Maybe that won't. But God is at work even when it doesn't, when it doesn't happen. So my, uh, my, my charge to you is um, pursue the Lord. Seek him. Um, don't seek what he has to give you, but seek him. As you approach the scriptures, say, I want to know you. I want to know who you are, and I want to know who I am. I want to know not just what to do, but I want to know about the world that I live in. I want to know about the God that I serve. So I'm going to leave you with that. Uh, Let's meet with God. Let's eat the book. (laughs) Eat the book, metabolize it into our being, and, and pray and seek the Lord that like those disciples on the road, our hearts would would burn with passion as we open the scriptures and as he opens our mind. It isn't our efforts that will bring about uh, our growth. It isn't our efforts that will bring about insight. It's his gracious revelation that comes through his hand personally touching us. So I pray that you guys would, uh, would take that to heart and would seek the Lord and find him this week. I love you. Can't wait to see you guys again.